What is up, College of Charleston basketball fans? Hope you all had a great holiday weekend. Coming to you on a Tuesday. The cool thing about this is that we actually know where Charleston is going to be ranked in the AP poll this week. Number 18. Hard to believe. Charleston just keeps moving up as they keep winning. Crazy, crazy to believe. We do this podcast weekly, but sometimes you do have to take a step back and look at the bigger picture and realize how hard it is, one, to just win college basketball games, and two, to now go multiple months without losing one. So awesome time to be a Cougar fan. The good times keep rolling. We have three games to go over today with our guest Ryan Teichler, a.k.a. Coogie Monster, if you follow him in various online communities. Got to start with the big win in Wilmington. That was awesome. And then we're going to recap two sellout games at the six more recently against Elon and William and Mary. Y'all know the drill. Subscribe, follow us on social, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your other CFC classmates. New Holy City Hoops episode coming at you right now. Coogie Monster has returned to the Holy City Hoops podcast. How you doing, Ryan? What is up, Tommy? How fun is this, man? It is pretty rad. Not a bad time to be a Cougars fan. Number 18 in the country. 18 wins in a row. Yeah, man. And we've got a huge CAA game earlier this week that I know. Is it true? I think you mentioned this on Discord. Did you watch the UNC Wilmington game twice? I watched the second half twice. Yes. I will have to admit, the first time watching, I had way too many beers uh, than a responsible person should have on a school night. So I wanted to watch again to, to see it in a, a different frame of mind to, to make sure my uh, my eye was seeing it correctly. Well, you're a you're a glutton for punishment because that was not the half to watch. You you must have been like, oh, I had the beer goggles on. There's no way we shot one for twenty in the second half. And then uh, unfortunately, that's what happened. <laughs> but correct. That, we don't need it to happened talk about the same negative time stuff. Again. We don't need to talk about negative stuff. It's all good. It's all positive. Um, well, let's do it. Let's talk about UNC Wilmington because that was obviously the biggest game of the week. Another 3-0 week for the Cougars. This is one we had circled on the calendar for a long time, especially after it looked like Wilmington and not Towson was going to be the biggest threat for a CAA regular season and tournament title. If you listen to me on the pregame uh, Twitter spaces that we did with Seahawk Perch and the CAA, I did predict Cougars would win 72-70. The final score was 71-69, so I feel pretty good about my predictive abilities. Maybe if you bet money on games, you should start listening to me. That's not true. Don't do that. I just want to start with the environment there. I mean, you and I have been Cougar fans for a long time and been part of this rivalry since Charleston joined the CAA. This was a rocking atmosphere at Trask, and there was people on their message board and the UNCW Discord who were talking about this as maybe the biggest game in the history of that arena, which I think is like 50 years old at this point, not just with the win streaks going in, not just because of the rivalry, but a ranked team coming to Trask for only like the fourth time ever. And for the first time as a CAA opponent, I think since the late 80s, students were in line hours in advance. And I thought the atmosphere lived up to what we expected it to be. What about you? Oh, totally. They were showing clips of when the Cougars got off the bus and there was already uh, Wilmington students out there pre-gaming and chirping. Um, so the buildup hours before the game in Wilmington, it started to build and build and build. But tons of credit to Wilmington fans and students 
Uh, I was thinking about this earlier. There's only two programs in the CAA that can produce that kind of environment. Exactly. We're one, they're the other. Yep. Um, it's a perfect natural rivalry. And I'm glad that Cougar fans, and I think Wilmington fans too, see it that way. That you know, it's two great fan bases, two schools that put basketball first. It's geographically convenient. I love it, man. And they brought it, and it was a great, great, great college basketball environment. That's what a mid-major conference rivalry should look like. And I think a lot of people started to take notice. This wasn't even a nationally televised game, but the footage of the Trask atmosphere was making its rounds around Twitter. Uh, and a lot of people were like really, really complimentary of it. And for Charleston to pull off a win in those conditions, I think is really, really saying something. And people have been kind of, I don't want to get into it. People have been kind of poo-pooing Charleston's ranking or this and that because their schedule hasn't been that hard. Look, Clemson is what, ranked 19 now? They jumped into the standings. I don't know if Clemson would fare much better at that arena at Trask than than the Cougars did, you know? Like, Clemson was in a dogfight with Towson at Clemson. But we don't need to get into that. Charleston... <laughs> Clemson lost to South Carolina, and South Carolina is awful. Yeah. Crazy atmosphere, and I thought it was great. I thought it was the perfect start to this game. You mentioned uh, the UNCW fans chirping at Charleston as they came off the bus. Did you see the one Charleston <laughs> team member who was kind of uh, giving them some nods back? Uh, I, I'm going to guess it's uh, his name is Sultan Mullen. That's something that is that exactly that. that is exactly correct. He was the only one not, uh, you know, like with blinders on. He was kind of encouraging it, and I think everybody saw the clip before the game where someone has is asking him to sign their to put his signature on their sign. He runs over, he takes the cap off the pen and just throws it to the side. Yeah, I saw that. Loved it. And then he's first possession of the game. They dump it down to Dalton Bowen. He backs his guy down and scores. Like that is the perfect way to get that game started. Like, you don't give the UNC Wilmington crowd time to get into it, and they just built on that. So Charleston goes up 14-8, to Ben Burnham comes off the bench and has eight all by himself, and that just, like, immediately neutralized the UNCW crowd. Uh, We had Dalton Bolin getting popped in the face and, like, licking blood off his temple or whatever it was. It was just like, I don't know, and, and did Berzovich get the black eye in this game, or did he get that afterward? I noticed it in the Elon game, so he must have gotten it either at Wilmington or in practice. But I didn't yeah. notice it during the game. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I saw it during the game either. But maybe it was. Maybe it was, he took contact there. Anyway, it was exactly what we thought it would be: physical matchup. But Charleston gets off to this great start. First half, like we've got the Larson Berzovich pick and roll going. Cougars shoot seven for fifteen from deep. I think they've shot like 55% from the field overall. You have Siddle going into the locker room talking about, you know, we're lacking toughness and and this and that. Uh, what'd you take away from, I know you watched the second half twice, but what'd you think of the first half? Love the first half. Love the energy the Cougars came out with. Shot the ball well. And I think Siddle is right. I think we out-toughed him. We got to the loose balls. I think we got the 50-50 balls. Um I haven't looked at the stats, but it seemed like we out-rebounded them, out-toughnessed them for uh, on the offensive glass. And it looked like, and for a second there, Tommy, I thought maybe, just maybe, we could run away with this thing. Uh, but it wasn't to be. 
It was not to be. And we've seen some second-half disappointments from this team. If you remember the Towson game, it was probably the, the best comp for this one. Uh, it was not a great second half. And you knew UNCW with that atmosphere wasn't going to just wilt. Uh, and their defense came out really, really locked in. And we already teased this a little bit. Charleston starts 1-for-20 from the field in the second half, which I didn't think was even possible. We've, that's like Earl Grant era-esque. You know, PK talks a lot about momentum shifting shots, and I almost thought in the second half we were trying to, like, hunt those down more than just playing the offense. Like, we saw, you know, a few, like, transition three-point opportunities, a few, like, quicken-the-shot clock shots, and it's like, just just do what you are doing in the first half. Just run your offense like you were. Somebody will get open and take that shot. Uh, and then the guys started, like, kind of hanging their heads a little bit when, like, stuff would rim out or, like, layups wouldn't go. And UNCW is just like, I feel like they sensed blood in the water and their defense ratcheted up that much more. And then you got the crowd into it. And then finally, when UNCW goes up, that place just explodes. The place went nuts. Um, Talking a little bit more about the first half, I thought our defense was much better in the first half, too. I agree. Uh, you You saw some of the elements of the pack line defense that Kelsey talks about. It's the same defense that UVA runs, but it looks totally different because, you know, we're, our pace is, is so fast and we're playing so much in transition. But anytime they try to dump the ball down low, our help side defender was in perfect position, either to double enforce the pass out or make sure he's hedging so any shot there is contested with two players. I thought it was excellent. Second half, I, I didn't think our defense was great. But to, I mean, the elephant in the room is the, the one for 20 shooting stretch. Um, and I went back and watched it because, again, glutton for punishment. But I counted seven bad shots in that stretch. Just like that ball should not go up. Yeah. You know, you can't take that shot. But that still leaves 13. <laughs> and they, they were one for 13 from what I thought were pretty decent shots. Just it, it wasn't falling. And again, I thought, you know, people pressed a little bit. Um, and I, the, the weirdest thing to me rewatching it was I thought Ryan Larson's pacing and tempo was a little bit off. And it's so surprising because he has that sixth sense of perfect tempo and understanding when to press or when to pull the ball, ball back, uh, depending on the situation. And I thought his kind of internal uh, clock got a little bit screwy there. But, hey, he was the hero of the night. He certainly redeemed himself. Yeah. Yeah, it just, it, it did seem like Charleston was a bit out of sorts. But it, to me, it looked like they were just hunting for shots to get, like, four points. You know, like, trying trying to, like, shift the momentum back so hard that you, you try to quiet the crowd. And it's like, nope, you're not going to do it that way. You're not going to do it in one shot. You just got to string together some stops. Uh, I think the one shot they did make during that stretch was a really critical rain smith three to like keep them at bay at least for the time being but like you said to charleston's credit they did punch back when they finally needed to so there's a sequence of big plays down the stretch and the first one i want to start with is so jamari thomas hits a three to go up five with 224 to go nine seconds later Ante Berzovich hits a three to cut it back down to two. I thought that shot was huge because you miss that one and then you send it the other way. Maybe UNCW goes up seven or eight with two minutes to go. And you and I, we we have uh, real estate on Ante Berzovich Island. We've, you know, set up camp there. 
you must have loved when when he hit that shot. That was a huge, huge, huge shot. There was a stretch there when Dalton Boland shushes the crowd when he hits that transition three, that if that ball doesn't go in two, it is a huge momentum shifter because Trask is going nuts. I forget who made the shot for UNCW on the other end there, but that place was about to explode. Dalton hits the big three. But you're right, and I think that was a shot that I kind of missed the first time around, how big that Ante Berzovich three was. You have to have it in that situation. We're down five. All the momentum's on their side. Has to have it. Bang, nails it. And that was really the start. Tommy, from there, we went on a 7-0 run. Yeah, Cougars finished on a 7-0 run. So on the other side, UNCW misses what would have been their third straight three. Like, that's the kind of tear they were on. And that's the play that leads to the Larson and one, which you mentioned, with 130 to play. Huge shot. Um, and then on the other hand is the the highlight everybody saw. Shaikeem Phillips trying to go one-on-one against Jalen Scott. Big shot Scott blocks the shot. I know there was all the clock stuff afterward and, you know, whatever. Nick Farrar misses what should never have been a shot attempt, but whatever. Jalen Scott gets the block on Phillips cleanly. This game reminded me a lot of the Richmond and Kent State games. If you remember those, uh, both Larson and Scott made huge plays down the stretch of of those contests as well. But yeah, locked in when they needed to on defense, just like they have in the Kent State game and then in the Towson game, and just really, really fitting that it was uh, two guys kind of doing what they do best. Totally. And that 37 seconds was crazy. So Wilmington takes the timeout, gets across the timeline to take the timeout, with 37 seconds left, they probably could have gone for a two for one. It would have been close if they immediately attacked the basket, but I get why Siddle didn't, but they ended up getting the two for one anyway, because the possession before Trezarian white shook Bolin and he got a great shot off and he missed it. It's a great play by white, but he just missed the shot and Chuck tips it out. Yep. And watching it again, it was the most frustrating thing I've seen all night because Ryan Larson is streaking in and he has an easy rebound and Chuck tips it out. So they're able to reset the offense and go for the ISO, which this is, to me, Siddle's a great coach. Tommy, I'm not sure about that play call, that ISO with uh, Shaikeem Phillips against our best defender. Yeah, I know there's been a lot of debate from the UNCW crowd about that one. Shaikeem Phillips is a cougar killer. Like, he has always destroyed the Cougars, so I had a pit in my stomach when he's going one-on-one. But Scott had kind of locked him up all night, and Phillips had missed some games. I think he, like, was sick a couple days prior, and he hadn't had a great matchup against Scott all night. And, hey, also just, like, a great defensive play for Scott. Not to get a foul called against him, block it when it's completely ISO, everybody's cleared out. So, yeah, I know... Siddle defended it. I think he was like, hey, I'd, I'd do it again because we trust, like, Shaquem Phillips has hit that shot before. Um, but I'm glad it worked out for the Cougars. Yeah, and that's a hell of a defensive play. One hell of a defensive play because that ball doesn't move. And that's the other thing that if I was a UNCW fan, I'd be a, a, a little bit peeved with is with 13 seconds, you can run a set play, and if it's not there, kick it out for the ISO. Yeah. Uh, but – get all the credit to Scott. He's stuck on him like glue and that's a clean block. Um, the refs are not going to call that. 
you know, that's a lot of ball. Maybe got a bit of hand, but that's a lot of ball. The refs aren't going to call that, but they are going to call <laughs> UNCW gets a timeout, another timeout, a shot attempt in like 0.3 seconds, but, you know. Yeah, how that's possible to get possession of a basketball to call timeout and then get a half-court shot off, I, I will never know. Yeah, get right. get a rebound off a free throw, call a timeout, and get a shot off from full court. Whatever, whatever. Yeah, yeah, no idea. Uh, other takeaways from this game for me. We saw a little bit of uh, some Dalton Bull and Hero Ball down the stretch, and I want to get your your take on it because there's a there's a fine line between Hero Ball and like late game isolation score, like one on one score that we need, and like ball hogging. And Bowen, to his credit, like straddled that quite well. He got like two layups where I think we backed guys down. He got like an offensive rebound. His three's been falling the last couple games. I tweeted that out today. And Charleston needed to like get out of that funk. And sometimes Bolin shoots too much and he's not super efficient. But these last couple games, he's been like, hey, enough of like the everybody eats kind of mentality. Like I will take it upon myself to to get this done. Yeah, I noticed that too. And in the one for 20 shooting doldrums, I thought he took some bad shots. Um, and I thought he, he pounded the ball underneath when, you know, when the when the Cougars offense is at its best, the ball is constantly moving. Uh, and he get, got down to the low block and just pounded the ball, uh, which really isn't his game. He's 6'4". You know, I didn't love it. Um, but again, he was the hero, right? He hit two clutch shots to get us kind of out of that slump. And then again, the when he shushes the crowd, when he nails that three, that's a have-to-have-it senior moment. Um, super duper senior and so yeah yeah exactly but i mean you're right the, the way you laid it out is exactly right there's there's a fine line to play with hey i'm the senior give me the ball um and then forcing shots yeah and this is another trend we've we've talked about a little bit raekwon horton had a rough game uh and he's been struggling the last couple games we saw a little bit of signs of life uh against elon today or against william and mary today this game, he, I don't know if, how many fouls he ended up getting. It seemed like a lot, but he is just like charging into guys and not getting the calls. His three's not falling. He seems a little bit hesitant to me these last couple games. And, you know, last year, especially like in the CAA tournament, he had, he would, you know, slash and get to the rim, but he had like side to side moves. He had like a start and stop, change of pace, jump stop, finish through contact seems like this year he's just like straight line drives same speed every time and is not getting is like looking to pass also more than I think he used to and just like not not a good game from him offensively against UNCW yeah the the first charge was he clearly put his head down he clearly shoved shoved off with his left arm then at the I think it was like the four minute mark he has that second charge which I'm not sure that's a great call. I, I don't think the defender ever beat him there. But when you put your head down and you kind of have that reputation of, hey, I'm just going to straight line to the basket, it's you know, the, you're begging the rest to call that. Um, and I frankly, I, I love Raekwon. This is the Raekwon Horton podcast. But it wasn't his night against Wilmington. Uh, and I'm not sure he should have been there in the game at, the, at that situation. That's not to say, you know, you're not going to go back to Ray, 
but it, it, it just, it wasn't his night. Um, you kind of forget he's only a sophomore and I think it's a, a bit of quicksand, right? You, you, you're in a slump and you try so hard and you want to get out of it, but you're, you're trying so hard. You're just making it worse. Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of what we saw in, in the Wilmington game. Yeah. He seems frustrated and we know he started his freshman year with a slump like this and he broke out of it in a huge way. Keep in mind, Raekwon Horton also won Charleston, the Presbyterian game a few months back. Uh, so we know he's more than capable and just like Ben Burnham's turned a corner recently Hopefully Ray, you know, bounces back from this. And like I said, he got a couple shots to fall today. Maybe that confidence starts to uh, trend in the right direction. But uh, you have any other takeaways from this Wilmington game? Just staying on Ray for a bit, it would not surprise me at all down the stretch. We need Ray to win a game. And he has a stretch like Benny Burnham has had where he takes over a game for a four-minute stretch. Right? He's, he's a good enough player to do it. Yeah, we love Ray. Rooting for you, Ray. This is a, a Raekwon Horton Ante Berzovich uh, love fest combo between you and me. Absolutely. Oh, now now we can go to the next game to talk about Ante Berzovich. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Next game up, Charleston hosting Elon. Charleston wins this one 78 to 60. I know this was a win. Ryan, I almost had a full-on meltdown from this game. <laughs> like in the first half. And if I can if I can go on a May I have the floor to, to rant for a few minutes? Absolutely. Okay. So I tweeted before this game, if you're Charleston, you have to avoid the CAA landmines. And those are Elon, Monmouth, and Hampton. And just to clarify for anybody who thinks that these are like just typically bad CAA teams, no. These are three of the 15 worst teams in all of Division One basketball. There's 363 D1 teams. These are three of the very, very worst I don't know if this team, this Elon, Monmouth, or Hampton team could beat West Liberty with Dalton Bowen and Pat Robinson. Like, they are, what's the the soccer term? They're going to be, like, pushed into the next division. Uh, relegated. They're going to be relegated. So, not only, if, if you lose a game to one of those three teams, you wipe the slate clean on your resume, you're definitely getting kicked out of the top 25 because no top 25 team has a loss like this would have been. These are three of the worst CAA teams in the CAA's history, and they all happen to be playing at the same time. Like, you say goodbye to the top 25, you're probably getting pushed off the bubble. Jeff Goodman said it last uh, last week, Charleston can probably only afford to lose maybe one game, and that's like, you gotta lose to like a Hofstra, a Towson, a, a UNC Wilmington. So when Charleston is down at the half, I felt like I was the only one freaking out adequately. Um, everybody else was like, oh no, it'll be fine. Like, we'll we'll get it turned around. I was sweating it, and fortunately, we know what happened. Charleston outscores Elon by 20 down the stretch, but just as one last indicator of how bad Elon is, Charleston wins this game by 18 points and lost ground on Ken Palm. <laughs> Charleston was favored by 21, so they they lost ground on Ken Palm and in their strength of schedule by not creaming Elon by 30. You know, I think if Charleston comes out with a UNCW-type effort in this game, they probably win by 40, but... Fortunately, none of that happens. It's all hypothetical because Charleston wins this game. End of rant. Yeah, I so I missed the first couple minutes. Um, having a game at 4 o'clock on a Saturday is kind of a weird time. Uh, but when I, I finally logged on, we're down five. Um, and I just didn't – so I didn't see the first handful of minutes – 
but I didn't see like the level of energy and the level of compete that usually this team brings night in and night out. I think some of it was a hangover from the UNCW game. Like we saw UNCW lose to William and Mary on Saturday as well. Like they were clearly gassed from a really tough war uh, two days prior. And fortunately, Charleston didn't run into one of the other upper tier CAA teams. They probably would have lost this game. But I think it was somewhat of the hangover from UNCW. And honestly, like Elon's got nothing to lose. They're going to go. They're like, we're playing a ranked team. Like, let's go for it. What? What's the worst that happens? We lose a how many? I don't know how many. Have they lost twenty games? I don't know. Like, <laughs> so they don't. They don't care. They got nothing to lose. And honestly, their defense was pretty good. Like, they played zone. And the thing about playing zone against Charleston is, I think people are afraid to do it because the Cougars shoot so many threes. The Cougars rank seventh in the CAA in three point percentage. Like, they just take a ton of them. They lead the league comfortably in makes, but percentage wise, they only shoot. 32.9%. So when you play zone, guess who's not putting shots up? Jalen Scott. Baba Car is not shooting from the outside. Charles Lampton's not going to shoot from the outside. Pat Robinson was 0 for 4. Horton was 0 for 2. That's like a big chunk of the roster who's not even going to attempt the shot. And if they can't back a guy down, they're not going to be able to score. Fortunately, Bolin was hot in this game. I think he was 6 for 11 from deep. Um, Rain Smith hit a few. Larson hit a few. Berzovich did too, but... I don't know. Maybe we'll see some other teams, you know, play a zone defense and just live with with what happens. Yeah, the the two three zone kind of confused us, but in some ways it did because, like you said, the way to beat a zone is to shoot over it. So most teams don't play a zone against us. But the soft part of the zone is the elbows, the you know the 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 corners of the paint, and Scott got the ball on the elbows at will. Yeah, and just didn't even pretend like he was interested in shooting. No, he was. He would. Um, he would have his back to the basket. But at least in the second half, they were at least like probing it a little bit and getting him the ball and moving instead of just settling for an open three. But I think the way that Kelsey will make a, a bit of an adjustment is to have Bolin or Benny or or another ball handler who can shoot it uh, take that spot. And if they're giving them the open elbow jumper. I mean, take it, right? Bowling will hit that. We have five guys on the floor that will hit that shot night in and night out. Yep. Yeah. So second half, I thought, and Pat Kelsey called this out in the post game. He was like, we got some paint touches, which we did not do at all in the first half. Um, You know, probed the defense a little bit. They also got a ton more offensive rebounds. Uh, So they had 10 offensive rebounds in the second half versus just six in the first. I think they ended up collecting something like 46% of their misses, according to Kelsey, which is like where he wants to be. So you got those second chance opportunities. They started hitting shots more. And Ante Berzovich, your guy, flirts with a double-double. That's double, my guy. 17-7, not too, not too shabby. No, again, like we said this last time I was on your podcast. We, just, we haven't had a guy with his skill set, I think, ever. 6'10 guy can shoot it. He can put the ball on the floor a little bit, too. But really, really, really special player. And again, this is his first year playing D1 ball. He's only a sophomore. He could he could become an NBA player. I really believe it. I'm that high on Ante Bersovich. It's crazy he didn't get more looks coming out of D2. I, th- I think I remember the first I heard about him was like, Charleston is speaking to, uh, you know, D2 freshman of the year, uh, Ante Bersovich, who's also hearing from Longwood or like some other like, low tier d1 school it wasn't like he was talking to like p5s so yeah he's a everybody knows how i feel about ante 
I wonder how he got D2 in the first place. I'd love yeah. to hear his whole story of of how a uh, skilled 6'10 big um, didn't land on a D1 roster. You know he wants to be a politician? I don't know if you read that in on uh, cfc.edu. They did like a profile on all the players. And he wants he's like studying political science and he wants to be a politician in Croatia. I will move to Croatia <laughs> and he has my vote. <laughs> Yeah, we got maybe that's the new nickname for him is like the politician. We got the mayor already, which is pretty close. But the other thing interesting about this game is the starters played more minutes than we're used to. And I think that was brought up on the Discord channel as well. Ante played 23 minutes, but the other four starters played 27 or more. And there was only 12 bench points scored in this game. And I think, you know, lost in the Ben Burnham revival is... Pat Robinson had been struggling for a couple games. He hadn't hit double figures, I think, since the NCAA and T game. Babakar Fai had a great game against Delaware, but he's been scoreless in, I think, four of six or five of seven CAA games at this point. We mentioned Horton struggles, so I think PK was like, hey, I'm burning the, the starters a little bit longer in this one just to you know, get us out of this funk, get us some buckets against this zone, and uh, I'm going to ride him more than usual. Yeah, and I think Benny, what, did he have 10 of the 12 points? Or, um, yeah, really not a whole lot of productivity. Benny just had four in this game. Just four points. Oh, oh, okay. Huh. I thought he had a nice little spurt. Maybe I'm wrong. He had a good game against UNCW. Yeah, he had a great game against Wilmington. He had a solid game today against Elon. But this one was uh, a little bit of a clunker by his standards. Okay. Yeah, I did. I, I looked at the box score, and especially coming off that emotional win against Wilmington, I thought he would go to the bench more, but I think I think you're right. In this game, the, the starters had the heaviest minutes probably all year. Yeah, yeah. Which you wouldn't expect against Elon. But they needed it, and honestly, I wish they would have ran up the score more. It would have helped us. Elon is just that bad. They literally don't have a Division One win on the season. They, Ugh. yeah, would have been a disaster. And you gotta, I think Charleston's going to Monmouth soon. Gotta stomp them can't let them uh you know get anything going at home in that game yeah I, I said this on discord but if there's such a thing as a bad 18 point uh win we just saw it yeah it was not ideal i think they played about 10 good minutes of basketball and fortunately elon just doesn't have a pulse i don't know what are they competitive in any caa sport i don't i'm not trying to be mean but like i don't know what their athletics department's doing not sure yeah Anything else on this one? No. Uh, let's wipe this one from our memory and uh, <laughs> and, pre- and press on. Well, I think that's exactly what Charleston did because today, uh, Monday afternoon against William & Mary, this one was never even close. Charleston wins this one wire to wire. They were up 30-plus some stretches in the second half. 82-54 is the final. We broke the Kaplan curse last year. I didn't know if it was going to travel. We don't go to Kaplan this this season. Charleston's defense was lights out in this game. Like They were so active. They were blocking shots. They were getting steals and running. I think they had 20-plus points in transition or, or off turnovers. Their offense was fine. Like you know, They hit a bunch of threes, which is always great. But uh, for me, it was the defense that really stood out today. The, the defense and I think just athletically and our pace and our style. Yeah. It, it really looked like we are the 18th best 
team in the nation playing kind of a lower tier CAA opponent. It, it didn't look close athletically, uh, activity wise, compete wise, skill wise. I, it was just domination. I loved to see it. Yeah. William and Mary, they've got some skill guys, but they're so young and yeah, I, I'm with you. I think they're a tier below Charleston in terms of athleticism. Like they were just getting blocked and stripped and outrun in transition so often in this game they didn't even hit a three charleston was that locked in on the perimeter they only attempted 12 charleston shot 45 threes in this game and hit 16 which i think is a season high the charleston's percentages weren't great but they were just got so many more looks at the basket uh 76 shots to 58 and that's with the walk-ons in in garbage time balanced scoring in this one uh berzovich again another 17 points five rebounds Bolin, again, player of the week uh, at this point. He had 15. Rainsmith has 13. And then ben, ben Burnham, 13 points off the bench. Pretty effective. But also love seeing Pat Robinson have nine after struggling for a couple games. And then Ray Horton hit two threes. Wasn't, you know, he was two for 10 from the field. But I think it was probably good for him just to see a couple outside shots go down. Oh, I was really, my fingers were crossed when that his first three went in. I think he just needed to see something go through the hoop. Um, wasn't good again today. Um, but I think in this sort of game, it's good that he got 10 shots. Just rep it out. There's only one way yeah. to get out of the slump, and it, it's to shoot it. Um, and we're going to need him down the stretch. But again, I mean, I thought rain was really good today. Bowling, I, the, the cool thing about this team is there's so much balance and there's so much kind of redundancy built into it where Ray can have a bad game and Benny will step up or Pat Robinson can have lulls and someone and Ante steps up. You know, it, it's always going to be someone um, playing this deep of a roster and this deep of a rotation. It's hard for 10 guys to have a bad game on the same night. But a game like this, where I think almost everyone played well, yeah, we're just going to steamroll teams. And that's what—that's exactly what Charleston did. <laughs> Again, you're up 30 most of this game, and they made it look easy a lot of the times. I, I have like very limited notes for this one. I'm just like did not have anything close to a letdown, which is exactly what I wanted. I wanted them to like shake off that Elon game. Maybe that was a wake up for them. Like, oh crap! Like if we don't bring full effort. Every day, any of these CAA teams can can you know knock us off our perch. So didn't see any uh, like they seemed locked in. This was also their third game in six days. It's been a even though they've been playing at home mostly besides that Wilmington game. You know it's a lot of games in one stretch. I think their their buy or their break is kind of coming up before the Hofstra game. Uh, they do head out on the road after this, but just like very surgical, taking care of business in this final part of the homestand. Yeah, I mean, that is the William & Mary team that just beat UNCW yeah, yeah. at UNCW. And you figure that's, you know, they, they probably came in with some bumps and bruises too from that game. True. Um, but, I mean, to beat Wilmington at Wilmington, they have a pulse at least. Other than, Not like Monmouth and, and Elon. Yeah. Uh, but I think that might have been a, a bit of motivation. I think PK could point to that and say, hey, guys, you better be ready to go. Uh, and they were, especially the first half. I mean, it just started off hot. I thought the energy was there, um, different than the, the Elon game. But, you know, it, it kind of stinks 
because I, I want UNCW to to you know help bolster the conference. Yeah. But I think we beat them twice. I mean, we beat them twice. Um, they couldn't get up for uh, a pretty mediocre William and Mary team after we beat them. I know, and that what sucks about that is that that was Charleston's shot at like a tier B or like a quad two, whatever it's called, win at Wilmington. As soon as they lost at home to William and Mary, they they lost that status. So now I think I know. maybe they can get it back. Um, but Charleston has no more op- no better opportunity, you know, from here on out to to pick up a quality win. I think the Towson game has already like no longer counts as a strong win. We already know that the Virginia Tech win has not aged well. The UNC loss has not aged well. Kent State wins looking pretty good. Like Kent State's getting votes in the AP top twenty five now, which is awesome. But uh, like Goodman said last week, the opponents Charleston's beaten aren't doing them any favors. No, and and looking at the schedule when it first came out, if you told me Virginia Tech, Kent State, Chattanooga, the two A-10 teams we played, that people would poo-poo that in mid-January, you know, yeah, we just kind of been let down by our, our opponents. Yeah, but nothing you can do about that. You know, Charles, no, Charleston's it was, won. It's a good schedule. Yeah. Charleston's won 18 in a row. That's got to count for something. So, yeah, you already mentioned this, but uh, Charleston is going to go on the road for two straight games after uh, a two-game homestand here. First trip ever to Monmouth on Thursday. Got to win that game comfortably. And then at Northeastern, which might have two dozen people in attendance and then maybe like two or 300 Charleston fans on Saturday at noon. Uh, matinee game there. Northeastern is not who they have been in past years under Bill Cohen. They've struggled the last two years. Got to take care of them as well. Got to roll. Monmouth is terrible. Uh, and like you said, Northeastern, it will be a cavernous, empty environment. So you got to bring the energy off the bus. Don't stoop down to the level of your opponents, Cougs. I think that's kind of what they did against Elon. Uh, they've stepped up against Towson and UNCW, but... You know, treat this one like William and Mary. Go in there, get off to a hot start, and then ride that momentum. Probably the best thing they can do. Totally. And uh, again, man, how fun is this to talk about the number 18th ranked team in the country? We've been fans. I'm a little bit older than you, but been been fans of college basketball my whole life and been fans of college Charleston since uh, I was a student there. And we always thought, like, that possibility, that potential is there and now, like, it's happening. And I'm getting texts from random people who I went to school with who don't care about basketball at all. Uh, the buzz is growing, man. It's surreal. It really is. Like, I wasn't a, a Charleston fan when they were ranked 16 in the country 25 years ago. It's crazy. I, It's, like, scary and crazy and anxiety-inducing and super fun and everything at once. But you reminded me. We, I said, bring your best Andrew Gowdelock memory because Andrew Gowdelock, the all-time leading scorer at Charleston, finally returns to the Holy City for the first time, I think, since he left school. Uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame uh, the other day. He was my guy when I was in school. We're the same age. He's the one who really got me hooked onto Charleston basketball. He opens up TD Arena, sets all the scoring records, goes head-to-head with Steph Curry for so long. What's your best Gowdelock memory? I'm going to go with the easy one, man. The high-arcing three-point shot in TD Arena against a team wearing some blue jerseys from North Carolina. Yeah, um, that was 
one of the biggest shots in program history. And just talking about Goudlock um, in general, <clears throat> when he committed, the, the program was in a pretty precarious situation coming off of Tom Harrion. I was there for three of the four Tom Harrion years. I got one year of, of Crimmins. But the program was not in a good spot. And it took guys like Goudlock buying in and committing and, and and seeing the vision of what Charleston could be and turning into the player that he was that really set the foundation for what's happening right now. He was kind of a pivotal player in the history of our program. Yeah, I think for, for younger fans, he's a lot like, he and his classmates are a lot like the Riller, Brantley, Pointer kind of first real recruiting class that um, Earl Grant brought in. Gowdalock never got over the hump into the NCAA tournament, which is a travesty. A guy named Steph Curry was in the way for some of those years. Riller and Brantley and Cheely, those guys do get in. Um, for me, yeah, I mean, the most famous shot maybe in Charleston basketball, definitely at TD Arena's history is a big one. I remember his NIT performance against Dayton, where I think he set the single single game scoring mark on national television. That game was awesome. I was like two rows up into the student section for that one. The rainbow arcing shots against Wichita State later in the NIT, uh, which led Sports Center the next day. Even though Charleston lost, Gatalock was shooting from like half court and hitting threes to try to try to keep them in it. Winning the three point competition, the NCAA three point competition was pretty sweet. He's a legend. Was so happy to see him get into the Hall of Fame. I think he was pretty emotional about it, from what I could tell. Just a really cool moment in what's been a, a really special season. Yeah, after the uh, Wichita State game where he's launching threes from the logo, uh, I think he might have been on SportsCenter. Someone someone picked up the term Galvlockian three. So he had his own brand, of like a deep three that's just buried. It was Galvlockian, and I loved it. I remember like going to the Wichita State fan boards and those guys being like, I have never seen a sh shooting display like that. Who is this kid? That was unbelievable. So yeah, he definitely... Definitely had it. I, and I think he's still like top 50 all time in NCAA scoring history. It's pretty, pretty awesome. Anything else you want to talk about before I let you go? No, man, I, I'm on cloud nine. I'm, I'm really proud of this team and Pat Kelsey and the staff. And uh, last thing I'll say is you, you brought this up in the very beginning, but people are kind of poo-pooing the winning streak. But this is a game played by 18 to 23 year olds and, and then Dalton Bullen. Yeah. Um, but college kids aren't always known for making great decisions all the time. And to be ready both physically and mentally and know your scout and bring the level of compete and energy that this team does night in and night out, you can't discount it. Um, and it's a huge credit to the kids. It's a huge credit to the staff. Let's just keep rolling, man. And it, I just, I it, it boils my blood that people poo-poo that sort of winning streak because we see upsets all the time, man. That's why we play the game. Why play the game? If you're just going to go off what Ken Palm says and what projections say, just give the award to whoever is first in Ken Palm at the end of the year, right? Like, don't even play the game. Like, let's make, let's turn this into college football where there's one team ranked first at the beginning of the year and then they trounce the, the next best team in the championship. Yeah, I totally. Yeah. Charleston deserves some credit for the streak that they're they're running off. And it's awesome. And Ryan, I will let you get back to your evening, but thanks for rolling through. Thanks for having me. Go Cougs. Go Cougs.